Welcome to Scope It Out. In this edition, guest host Dr. Sarah Wise talks with Dr. Adam Kimple and Dr. Brent Sr. about their recent article, Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, Otolaryngology Care, Multidisciplinary Consensus Recommendations. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Scope It Out, the official podcast of the International Forum of Allergy and Rhinology. I'm your host for this episode, Dr. Sarah Wise from Atlanta, Georgia. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Adam Kimple and Dr. Brent Sr. from the University of North Carolina, and we'll be discussing the recent IFAR publication, Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, Otolaryngology Care, Multidisciplinary Consensus Recommendations. Welcome, Adam and Brent, and congratulations to you and your co-authors on the paper. Thanks very much, sir. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you, Sarah. We're excited to be here. Let's start by talking about the impetus for your work. Uh, why was this group convened, and what were some of the gaps that you were hoping to address with this paper? Sure. So I'll, I'll get started. So um, individuals with cystic fibrosis have a very high uh, prevalence of, of chronic rhinosinusitis. Sometimes we estimate it up to 100%, nearly universal. And their management is probably one of the more difficult disease endotypes that we have within CRS, uh, because it's really a genetic disease of the whole epithelium. And so there's no great consensus on what treatment should be done, how aggressive we should be, how apathetic we should be, or whether even uh, treatment of the nose can help improve the lungs. And, and uh, the care is even more complicated because it involves pulmonologists, endocrinologists, otolaryngologists, and kind of spans the age spectrum. And so I think there was a, a significant interest in kind of helping better define uh, what the evidence base was and what optimal care was for these patient populations. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I totally agree. Um, Brent, did you have a comment? Yeah, I was just going to say that uh, uh, the good news from my perspective uh, when this all started out was that this was actually um, put forward by the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. It wasn't actually an otolaryngology-driven uh, project. It was a CF foundation recognizing these deficits, recognizing that we just didn't have this information out there that that got us all together to do this. Yeah, I, I think that this is you know, an important piece of work um, for otolaryngologists, for rhinologists. Uh, I've, I've certainly seen the importance of the, the multidisciplinary care and, and some of the difficulties in treating these patients myself. So um, so again, thank you for your work. And, and we'll get into a little bit more discussion about the work itself. Um, perhaps one of you could give us a brief description of the methods that you use to complete uh, your work in, in this manuscript. Sure. We, uh, uh, working with the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, we established uh, four different uh, teams of um, individuals, uh, otolaryngologists, pulmonologists, audiologists, uh, patients with cystic fibrosis, social workers, nurses, very, very wide spectrum of individuals. Um, and these individuals uh, were given opportunities to review um, the literature on different uh, aspects of otolaryngic care of uh, cystic fibrosis. And uh, statements were put forward um, to uh, regarding that care and regarding how that care should be performed. And, uh, and subsequently those statements were voted on by the full committee. So uh, we, we found that uh, we, we decided somewhat arbitrarily, um, uh, but it was the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation protocols or, or usual approach that uh, if there was a, 
a greater than 80% consensus on a particular statement, then that was accepted as a, as a, a, uh, uh, a statement that was um, supported by the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Um, that this was all preceded by a very, very extensive literature, literature search that was actually um, uh, performed uh, with the assistance of a professional um, individual, a professional PhD individual um, that uh, really went into a deep dive into all the literature with respect to otolaryngology and, and CF uh, uh, patients and um, and, and it was that literature that was reviewed and, and uh, uh, that resulted in these different options that we considered. So um, many of the people listening to this podcast probably work in the, in the rhinology space. Um, can you fill us in on some of the most important or most interesting or even new recommendations uh, that relate to rhinology? I think one of the more interesting things that came out of this was a, a recommendation for ENT consultation for any patient with the signs or symptoms of chronic sinus disease, tinnitus, hearing loss, and that these people really should be treated and evaluated by an otolaryngologist for these problems. Um, there was a lesser recommendation or, or what we referred to as an option for, for evaluation or consultation of all patients with cystic fibrosis by an otolaryngologist. And I think both of these are really critical because of the underreporting of sinus symptoms, of olfactory deficits, of uh, hearing issues in this patient population. Uh, and so I think one of the bigger recommendations is really for these patients to be seen by ENTs because a lot of them, they have an endocrinologist, they have a pulmonologist, but they don't necessarily see an e ENT routinely. And I think that's one of the bigger recommendations overall for our specialty in general. I think the, uh, the recommendations uh, kind of more sinus focused, uh, the big one's really centered around kind of uh, helping to better define whether a person has uh, allergic rhinitis in addition to cystic fibrosis and making sure that that's treated. And, and while that's simple to state, it's uh, actually fairly difficult to do in a patient population that has constant congestion, nasal obstruction and nasal drainage. Uh, but I think additional research is going to be needed to kind of better understand how to identify the CF patient with allergic rhinitis and how to optimize treatment. And if that will kind of uh, end an improved quality of life for this patient. Yeah, I, I think you've hit on a couple of uh, really important aspects. Um, you know, first of all, we know that that cystic fibrosis is a chronic condition and there certainly can be a tendency to kind of adapt to the normality of, you know, essentially a, a chronic state, right? And, and maybe not to um, have sinus symptoms or allergic rhinitis symptoms um, be the focus of their day-to-day -day life, especially when, you know, when their lung function may be declining or um, they have a lot of medical therapies that, that they need to do to, you know, to keep their pulmonary status or their digestive status um, functioning on a day-to-day on -day basis. Um, but it is important to identify the chronic sinusitis, the, you know, potential nasal polyps. And then also, as you, as you indicated, to, to identify allergic rhinitis if it's present, because this can certainly affect our patients um, symptomatically. We know that it affects quality of life and can be a, a detriment to the quality of life um, add, added to all of, all of the other things. So, um, so those are 
particularly important recommendations, as you stated. There are also many recommendations that, that are not directly related to rhinology, but, but rather address the care of the CF patient in, in otolaryngology more broadly. Um, you, you know, alluded to, to tinnitus and things like that, but um, maybe, um, Brent, can you talk a little bit about some of the important recommendations in the broader otolaryngology arena? Yes, I would say that probably the, the biggest recommendations that we made were with regard to uh, audiologic uh, monitoring uh, of uh, patients, of the CF patients that are being treated with ototoxic medications. Um, there really is nothing in the literature uh, that had been previously recommended with regard uh, to this. And yet, as we all know, our our CF patients are being treated with ototoxic medications, either as inhaled agents or as oral agents on a regular basis. And so our, our committee had a, a very vigorous uh, discussion, uh, lots and lots of discussion about this very uh, significant topic, about what the proper protocol should be, what kinds of things we would recommend. And the bottom line is, is we do recommend that patients who are being treated, our patients who are being treated with ototoxic med um, medications that they be monitored, that they get baseline audiometry, and that they be followed um, as they receive these uh, medications over time. And I think that was a very, very significant thing, a very significant thing. And, and it was also, I think, eye-opening for a lot of our non-otolaryngology colleagues who were serving on the committee uh, to realize that, that the importance of that uh, uh, to be done. And I think it was eye-opening for the rhinologists on the committee to really hear the patients kind of advocating for this or individuals with cystic fibrosis and, and kind of how kind of debilitating and frustrating that component is. And so if screening could help potentially modify treatment, how important that was to their overall health. I, I absolutely agree. And I think, you know, certainly if, if you're not working in the otology space, um, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, that's something that, that can be, you know, lost sometimes. Um, I think it's important, you know, for us to include those diagnoses, um, hearing loss or tinnitus or, or things when, you know, when we're seeing patients. Um, I, I actually recently had an experience, um, even just with, a, you know, a sinus irrigation uh, that included antibiotics where, the uh, pharmacist receiving the prescription for the topical antibiotic preparation um, actually alerted our team that the patient had a diagnosis of hearing loss and recommended an alternate antibiotic, which um, we were all very thankful for and, um, you know, and happy that 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 sort of multidisciplinary care had occurred, um, you know, even with the topicals, as, as you indicated. So I think that that's uh, incredibly important to put that information out there to make sure that everyone's paying attention to it and, and that we're not, uh, you know, solely focused on, you know, just the rhinologic care or just the pulmonary care. Um, along those lines, um, I was wondering if, if you all have a multidisciplinary type clinic uh, for the CF patients uh, or have seen that model be successful in, um, in other, you know, institutions. I wish we had a multidisciplinary clinic for CF. Uh, I think that would be a fantastic thing. We don't, and, and we kind of rely on the old school phone call from, uh, on Mondays to my clinic and on, uh, 
you know, uh, Wednesday to Kimple's clinic uh, to try to get these patients in, when, especially when they travel from far away. Um, I think that the, the guidelines really emphasize to me how critical multidisciplinary care is. And I think, honestly, it, it was, it was equally, um, I think, important for our pulmonologists to see what the role of the otolaryngologist was uh, as we developed these guidelines and, and spoke with them to, to recognize how, how significant our role is uh, in the care of these patients as well. So while clearly multidisciplinary care is the key and it's, it's, it's uh, out, uh, incredibly important to outstanding care, we don't do it. And it's just those logistical problems that get in the way of making it happen uh, that we haven't been able to accomplish it here at UNC. Yeah, I, I completely understand. I, I you know, unfortunately we we don't have that um, that aspect uh, or or the the multidisciplinary uh, clinic to to offer our patients, but we we do have a very close relationship with with our pulmonologists and and communicate with them frequently about these patients. Um, <clears throat> what about you know uh, things that have have come out of COVID um, and our experiences there, um, have you incorporated any uh, telemedicine care of the cystic fibrosis uh, population to, to kind of help ease the burden of multiple visits and things like that? I, I will intermittently do telemedicine visits to supplement uh, other visits. And I think it's helpful, uh, particularly in cystic fibrosis patients who are starting to notice progressive headaches and increased drainage, because uh, I think that's often a symptom that, that I see for them getting a sinus infection. But I think one of the unique things as, uh, as a rhinologist is the ability to endoscopically evaluate the mucosa, and we really lose that on the telemedicine visits. And so I think the utility overall of, of telemedicine in rhinology, unless you're having a, a patient via otoscope on Amazon and, and scope themselves, which, which I've seen at some trilogical meetings, uh, I think it's really important to be able to see the person assess their mucosa with the endoscope to kind of make uh, better informed decisions uh, than you can obtain with, with telehealth for in our specific field, especially. Yeah, we, we um, have we've definitely incorporated the telemedicine. Um, it's, it's typically on the, uh, CT scan follow-up visits or, um, follow-up visits for allergic rhinitis and that kind of thing. I agree that, um, that it's difficult, uh, you know, when part of your routine care is, is with the endoscope. Um, so I think there's a, a place for it. Um, and, and, most as, as an adjunct or a supplement, as, as you indicated. But it is something we can offer our patients now uh, that many of us were not doing previously. Um, and I think it, it can certainly be, um, it can help to fill in some of the gaps, uh, perhaps. Absolutely, especially for a lot of our patients are traveling from far to come into the, the CF clinics here. Uh, I think the the telemedicine for CT scans, like you mentioned, is a perfect example. Uh, they don't need to see me to kind of discuss the CT scan, and, and we can look at the images uh, together online. And I think that that's a great example. Uh, but I think the the endoscopic evaluation and, and frequently debridement in patients who aren't doing great in clinic uh, of kind of their their thick crusts and their maxillary sinuses, I think, is helpful and, and just can't be replicated virtually. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I would. I would just add, Sarah, that uh, um, 
you know, anything that we can do to make the lives of our CF people, CF patients better, um, simpler, uh, I think is important. Uh, that was actually one of the striking things to me, actually, uh, being the chair of this committee and hearing from um, uh, the CF patients that actually sat on our committee. It's really, really complicated and hard to do all of the things and all of the treatments and things that are being uh, uh, recommended to them on a daily basis. And, and you know, just a um, from the otolaryngology standpoint alone with the irrigations and mixing the irrigations and, and doing them on multiple times a day and then following them by the nebulizations and, and, you know, it just goes on and on and on. And so I think all of us came away recognizing how challenging uh, the therapeutic regimens are. And if there are things that we can do to make their lives simpler, we should absolutely be pursuing those. I completely agree. Um, you know, in, in many of my conversations, when I talk to uh, patients with, with chronic rhinosinusitis, um, and especially the CF patients, I, tell, I often tell them, this is a chronic disease. Um, you know, it's a chronic condition. And while we, you know, have to continue to do maintenance care, and um, I, I promise every one of them that I want to make it as simple as possible. Um, so, you know, that's, that's what our goal is. And anytime we can reduce um, the medication and still maintain their sinus health, um, that's, you know, certainly something that we're working towards. Was there anything unexpected that came out of this work or any, uh, perhaps any topics that were particularly controversial? Oh, I would say that's easy to answer. <laughs> I think there was some blood on the ground about our recommendations about uh, uh, the role of uh, topical and um, topical steroids and uh, steroid rinses. Um, some people are pretty passionate about their use and how they should be used and when they should be used. And uh, there were people passionate on both sides of the argument. Um, so uh, that was probably the most controversial area that we dealt with. Would you agree, Adam? Yeah, I think it was definitely topical steroid use, whether it's intranasal cortical steroids with spray or irrigations. And I think uh, I think if we were talking about polyps, none of us, just standard polyps without cystic fibrosis, there'd be no debate. Everyone would be advocating for mometasone or budesonide, and they might have their favorite. Uh, I think that the nuances of CF sinusitis are more complicated. And, and while there may be a subset that benefits well with that, I think it's less well-defined uh, in this kind of TH1 dominant sinus disease, neutrophil, uh, neutrophilic polyp type of sinus disease than there is with other characterized endotypes. Sure. I, I can understand that. I, I think it's also important to recognize though that um, it, although CF in general um, may be a, a TH1 predominant disease, many of these patients do have allergic rhinitis or they do have a TH2 component. And uh, certainly there can be combined phenotypes and uh, endotypes. And, you know, I think we have to look at each patient individually and, you know, see what their response is to the medication and see how they feel um, and, you know, kind of keep an open mind perhaps. Well, absolutely. And, and that's why our recommendations with regard to allergic rhinitis in the cystic fibrosis patient were so important as well, 
to really pursue that diagnosis and to treat it appropriately. And certainly intranasal steroids have a role in that situation. Um, I think that was a very positive thing, a good thing that came out of these recommendations. Sure. I completely agree. Um, so as we, as we think about winding down our conversation, if you could communicate a final message to our listeners about the work that you did with this group, um, what would that message be? So I, I think the, the very exciting thing about this group was it was so multidisciplinary, all kind of centered around individuals with cystic fibrosis and their ENT manifestations. Uh, this was all done pre-Tricafida. Uh, it, it was published after Tricafida had been released, but uh, I think there's going to probably be some major updates uh, on these management strategies as more and more data comes out about uh, how the majority of sinus disease in, in people with Delta F508 uh, heterozygotes is getting dramatically better with Trikafta. And so I think Brent and I joked that by the time this is released, it'll be somewhat outdated. And I think that's somewhat true. Uh, it's not changing the ear manifestations uh, that we talk about in, in the allergic rhinitis, but I think that some of the sinus ones and sinus surgery are going to be changing dramatically in cystic fibrosis patients uh, as these highly effective modulators become kind of the norm, uh, at least in the United States for now. I would, I would say there were two things that uh, were kind of most important to me. One is the fact that it's just what I spoke about at the very beginning. It's the fact that the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation recognized how important otolaryngologic care was to come forward and, and, and have us put together this committee to do these guidelines. And that to me was really significant because we are not just ancillary in the care of these patients. We are significant. And, and having otolaryngology uh, um, in the middle of uh, all of this, I think was really, really important. And the second thing is, is that um, as with all guidelines documents, these are living documents, right? And, and certainly uh, the highly effective modulator therapy is gonna have a significant impact on, on how we manage our CF patients uh, in a very positive way. And it will make some of our guidelines, I'm sure, null and void very quickly. But that's okay. I mean, that's that's medicine, and there's constant uh, uh, medicine is a very dynamic field. There's constantly new information and new evidence that comes forward that's going to cause our recommendations to change over time. And I think also it's important to remember that recommendations are recommendations. They're not biblical truth, and they're not coming down on high saying this is absolutely the way you have to do it. You know, when you're sitting in front of a patient in a, an exam room and you are discussing that patient's care and, and how they uh, experience that care and the lives that they live and you're hearing that, absolutely, you're going to you're going to occasionally come up with treatment regimens that aren't necessarily advocated in a document like this. And that's completely OK. That's part of being a physician and that's part of shared decision making with our patients. Um, so. Uh, but anyway, that's that's my feelings on it. Uh, I thought it was, uh, I think it's overall a fantastic document. I'm very, very proud of it. And uh, I hope it is a helpful one for our community. I think that's a great note to end on. Thank you to our listeners for joining us. Thank you, Adam and Brent, for this great conversation. We've talked about a handful of important topics that the manuscript includes, but we certainly haven't covered everything really encourage our listeners to get the manuscript, review it thoroughly. It is very important work. 
And again, congratulations to you both and your colleagues on your publication, uh, Adam and Brent. So this is Sarah Wise for Scope It Out, the official podcast of the International Forum of Allergy and Rhinology. I'm signing off for now and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Scope It Out is a co-production of the International Forum of Allergy and Rhinology and Wiley. All opinions in this podcast are those of podcast hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect those of Wiley or the sponsors.